Hi, everybody. We have a giveaway with this episode. Josh Matthew is giving away two copies of his new book, I, Athlete. In addition to that, this is revealed through the end of the episode, but we are creating a 30-day meditation challenge on Facebook. So we're going to have a Facebook group and every day Josh or myself is going to present you guys with a meditation challenge. And this is as much for me as it is for you guys, because I am very resistant to meditation. So go to my website, swimbikemom.com forward slash giveaway. There'll be the information there on how you can enter to win a copy or two of, well, you won't get both copies, but you can win a copy of Josh's new book. And then there's information will be posted there about the meditation challenge. So this episode is going to be released on November 10th. We will start our official challenge on November 13th, although you are free to join during the month and then we'll have to see where it goes. Who knows? We may have an ongoing challenge, but hope you guys enjoy this show with Josh. This is the second time he's been on the podcast. I always enjoy speaking with him. He's an ultra runner, a coach, an author, and he and I just like click, man. We, we, we've got some cool stuff to talk about. We are going to talk about ultra running and we do a little bit, but we get off on tangents because that's just what we do. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hey welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I have a friend who has returned. Josh Matthey is here. Hi, Josh. Hey, Meredith. Thanks so much for having me back. I had a great time last time. I know. That's why I had you back. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I was kind of anxiously awaiting an email from you to see when you wanted to talk again. So right. I'm glad you reached out. <laughs> now you can move on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my life is complete now. That's right. So I wanted to have you back to talk about um, trail running and trans Rockies and all that. But I also just like talking to you and I feel like we always have a good synergy in conversation. And before we started recording, you were talking about a book you were reading. Um, and I forget the name of it, but saying that we, we are all human and we all have sort of the same issues and experiences. So I thought, tell me what you said. Cause I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. That's, uh, I was just saying I'm, I was, I'm reading a book called profit first, which if you are a business owner or really anybody that has struggled with accounting or money or thinking about money, this was a book recommended to me by one of my business mentors, one of my really good friends. And uh, wow, the book just hit me like a laser beam. Like he's writing it exactly for me. And he just kind of pulls back the curtain of, yeah, we're all human. If you struggle with money, if you feel like sometimes you're in over your head, if you feel like sometimes you're pretending, uh, we are taught, particularly in our society, to put on a good face and to pretend that we have it all figured out. When in reality, we're all just doing the best we can and sometimes we're afraid and sometimes we have no idea what we're doing and it can be really scary to feel like we're alone in that. And yeah. while the book is not about that, I really enjoyed the first couple chapters, how we just said, you know what? We're all just the same, doing the best we can. Yeah. Take a breath and don't worry about it. And while that definitely applies to you know business and money for me, I think it applies to everything for everybody. To just whenever you're too stressed out about needing to be perfect or needing to do it right, try to just take a step back and realize 
that we're all just here doing the best we can and it's going to be okay. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast on my run this morning um, called The Living Experiment, which is Dallas Hartwig and Pilar Gerasimo. Um, and it was I was listening to the Body Image podcast and they were talking about how um, body image impacts everyone. Like every single person has some sort of body image issues. And I was thinking about that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like just especially in our culture where everything, you know, seems to be about appearances and, but you get so caught up in your own body image issues that, you know, it kind of, it can become all consuming when it's, it makes you feel so much better to just step back and realize that probably everyone has an issue to a degree Along yes. the same lines as you. I mean, some people have it better than others, but it, like some survey said that 92% of all women hate their bodies. Yep. <laughs> it's like, funny oh. that you bring that up because literally 12 hours ago, I was having, the, uh, maybe 14 hours ago, I was having this discussion with one of my clients who is beautiful, like, you know, 12% body fat, right. ex gymnast, ultra runner, incredible body. And she was talking about how she struggles with her body image. And we were having a chat about, luckily she can kind of see that in herself, and we we're having a chat about other women that we know who, in her opinion, have great bodies, and they think that she has a better body. It's so much easier to look at other people and think, oh, I want that, and yet be very critical of ourselves. Yeah. And that, that is, yes, ex extremely normal. And, and to the eating point, you know, because this is very connected, body dysmorphia and eating is really connected. I would say, and my dad says this all the time, he's a psychologist, all of us have some form of disordered eating, mm -hmm. meaning we make strange decisions about food that have nothing <laughs> to do with... I like the word strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, because meaning, meaning not logical. Right. Be, you know, we eat to fuel ourselves logically, but we also eat for 27 other reasons that have nothing to do with fueling ourselves because we're sad or we're mad or we're tired or we're... You know, we're sitting down to watch Game of Thrones, and we always eat at that time. <laughs> and we lay down these brain pathways that just push us in different directions pretty much subconsciously. Um, and we all do that. When it becomes so much that it really negatively affects our lives, that's when it gets labeled an eating disorder. But if you struggle with some of these things, again, that just means you're human, and you have some form of disordered eating along with the other 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah. I mean, you know what I think is so fascinating about it is, you know, back to your client who has you know, the quote unquote perfect body. I mean, coming at it from a, from a point that the fact that we're all just comparing our self-worth because of our bodies, it's just, I hate that, but it's life. I mean, it's, what it is doing. a little ridiculous. I it agree. It's a little ridiculous, but, um, you know, I've come really far in the last couple of years just in, you know, physically sure, but how I kind of think about my body. But last night, Halloween, um, I was getting ready for bed and I looked in the mirror and I swear to you, what I saw was the exact same body I had, you know, five years ago, 250 pounds. It was almost as if I was just transported back in the mirror. And yep. that's what I truly saw. Yep. Right. It it's not so bizarre. That is a good point because you can say, well, it's all in your head, but it is a real phenomenon. You don't see what other people see. And most of us have a little body dysmorphia. Some of us have more body dysmorphia. That's why um, taking it out of your brain and using 
measurable metrics is a really valuable tool. Because if you're, if you're just relying on looking in the mirror, you will probably always be a little unhappy, particularly mm-hmm. if you're somebody that struggles with this. So, you know, taking pictures of yourself because then you can compare. That works really well. Um, yeah, I mean, I can paying it's attention so funny, to like I can look at a picture of myself and go, "Wow, that person looks great." <laughs> that person <laughs> looks like they've that. done really well. You know, like if I can put them side by side, the you know, I hate before and after pictures, but I like before and during. That's what I like to call them. But I can objectively look at them and say, wow, that Meredith Atwood's done okay. But Okay, so that's a good step. <laughs> I would also pay attention to how strong you feel mm-hmm. and when you're working out and when you're not working out and how your clothes fit because those are some really great metrics as well. You can't really argue with, wow, I can fit into a size 4 or a size 6 and I used to be a size 12. No matter yeah. how much hey, don't critic wants to say, <laughs> whatever it is. So that was an example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Click. I mean, no, just kidding. The, the critic in <laughs> the <laughs> critic in your head might want to say, "Yeah, well, but you don't look like that," or "Yeah, well, you should be trying harder," or whatever our critics like to say. Most of us have very strong inner critics. Yeah. Uh, when you can hang your hat on, well, but I can fit in these clothes. What do you have to say about that critic? That's yeah. it's nice to be able to kind of marshal as many forces for good <laughs> as possible. Well, my big goal, my big uh, victory this past winter clothes unveiling, you know, when you pull out the clothes from yeah. last winter, I actually threw out most of my clothes last winter because they were all too big and I didn't want to box. I didn't throw them out. I donated them. Let me go ahead and say that before <laughs> anyone fusses at me. But, um, I, you know, I used to box them because for sure I would <laughs> need them right. at some other point. Right. But the only thing I really kept was a pair of emoji pajama pants <laughs> that were too tight. <laughs> So like I opened up this this bin that has my husband's clothes and he's like, is this all you saved from the winter? You know, holding up these ratty emoji pajama pants. And I was like, oh, let me see how this fits. I forgot about those. Yeah, I know. I forgot about those because they didn't fit. They were really tight in the butt and the thighs last and year. And now they fit? And now they fit. And I'm Boom. like, yay, my emoji nice pajama pants. Yeah. But I mean, I they think... don't fit really well. But there was but definite difference. Yeah. Celebrate that success. That's something yeah. else I'm really big on is – uh, celebrating every little success you can, because life is hard enough. We have a lot that just, you know, the nature of living kind of drags us down and throws negativity in our faces. So when we have an instance where we can celebrate something that we did well or something that we should be positive about, go for it. Yeah, and my my pants say it all. I mean, they have all the emotions on them, <laughs> so it's really. Your pants truly do say it all. They really, truly do. We can go off on a million tangents, can't we, Josh? <laughs> so I want to talk to you. Let's talk a little bit about um, about writing because you, you told me you were just about to start buckling it down to write your third book. Would this be your third book? It would be my third book, yeah. Okay. Um, so where are you in that process and what are these, what are these new projects about? Thanks for that question. People don't usually ask me about that because we usually get <laughs> off on other tangents. Right. Uh, yeah, so my first book, In the Footsteps of Greatness, is about running the John Muir Trail. And then my second book, I, Athlete, is about how we all have an athlete inside of us waiting to be unleashed and how unleashing that can supercharge all the other areas of our life. It was kind of a continuation of my first story. Mm-hmm. So like most authors, I have a million books that I want to write and a right. few, you know, a bunch of different genres. But what I'm really excited about is helping people find and step into the strongest versions of who they are and 
kind of adventuring and having fun along the way and sharing my passion for the outdoors. So the two books that I'm currently working on, uh, one is about trail running and one is about fast packing. So I, I don't know if people are familiar with that term. It's kind of recently coined. No, but it's I like, don't know what it is. You tell me. It's like backpacking, but fast. <laughs> so <laughs> amazing. Um, so basically backpacking started, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it became popular where you would put on a big pack with 40 pounds on your back and trudge up a mountain and stay somewhere for a couple days, maybe go fishing and hike out. That's how I learned back in the, the early 80s. And that's great. That was fun. But it's a lot of work. And slowly, the industry shifted to where there's much faster, lighter equipment, not faster, much lighter equipment available that lets you move faster and see more. And as an ultra runner, I kind of combined my love for backpacking and nature with going long distances mm -hmm. and other people are doing this too. So it's moving as fast and light as possible, usually through the wilderness. And that's called fast packing, but it's but kind of what a if you were slow and heavy like me. <laughs> well, excluded from fast. Packing. Wait a second. That's your internal self-talk. I don't think you are slow and heavy anymore, but no, you're not excluded from fast packing. It basically just means you're moving faster than you would normally, normally move if you it. had a, a bunch of weight on your back. So it's fun. I, you know, it's not for everybody, but I find it really fun. And the people that I have touched that either have never backpacked before or did backpacking the old way who have moved in the direction of, of faster and lighter have really, you know, ignited their passion for, wow, this is cool going 15 miles a day or 20 miles a day or 30 miles a day and seeing more yeah. and, and moving like a, you know, a wolf through the wilderness. It's, it's, it's really powerfully connecting for me in the way that trail running and ultra running is and other people that I've talked to share that experience. So, but it's, it's a burgeoning industry. And so I want to write a book in, for people who have never done it. You know, this is what mm -hmm. it is. This is how you, but this is where you might think about going. This is the kind of gear you, you might purchase because there really isn't anything like that out there. Very and I cool. feel kind of qualified to write that book. And I think it would be fun. I like to have fun be my guide uh, whenever possible. So, so is fast packing like basically trail running with a backpack? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that is a, a nice, simple way to put it. I should okay. write that down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can quote like, me. Trail running with a backpack and a slow, heavy one said. <laughs> You're funny. We can, we can um, do a chapter. Let me write a chapter called. Um, uh, let's see. This is slow fast heavy packing. packing. Slow heavy packing, and I'll <laughs> I'll right. take all your tips and I will try it, and then I will give you my input. <laughs> Deal. I like. It. So the boundaries here are kind of gray, right? Because ultra running is also kind of. Uh, running with a trail running with a backpack so okay. the distinctions are not all that clear i would say ultra running is when you're doing a race right but that is and usually that's over one day but sometimes that's over multiple days so you know trail running can be ultra running fast packing can be ultra running ultra running mm -hmm. can be the other two um, but but i'm gonna write one book for people who are interested in what is this trail running thing all about? Because that's also becoming really popular. Right. And I'm going to write another book for fast packing specifically. And it then a bunch like, of other books too. <laughs> it sounds like fast packing is something you, you know it when you see it. Like yeah. you see someone go, you're like, oh, they're, they're fast packing instead of like, oh, yeah. they're ultra running. <laughs> 
So this is what fast packing would be. So ultra running would be you see people wearing race bibs and running through the wilderness. That's ultra running. Fast packing would be you go to Yosemite and you're hiking up to Tuolumne Meadows pretty slowly and somebody blows past you with this tiny little pack on that looks like they're out for a day hike and they tell you they're out there for four days. Uh That would be fast packing. (laughs) Okay. So you got to spend the night. That's also a key. Yes. Right. So So that actually is get, sorry, go ahead. It's like (laughs) camping. Yes. Well, that's what backpacking is. It's like camping, except you have all your stuff on your back. Yeah. I don't do that, Josh. (laughs) Well, maybe you, you could explore that. It's, it's really fun to kind of earn your way out there. And the cool thing is the farther you get outside of the city, the less people there are because most people aren't willing to work for it. So you get this feeling of pride and wow, I'm here by myself because you're willing to work for it a little bit. Uh, yeah. I- <laughs> and it's not for everybody. So, well, it, and it's not like <laughs> I, when I wrote my book, I had this whole chapter. I let someone else completely write the trail running chapter because I don't trail run. When I do, I fall. And I know falling is part of trail running, but I just fall. And then there, I get stung by yellow jackets. And I don't know. It just wow. it seems like such a bad sport for me but it's been <laughs> it's been so many years that i don't know i i That's go funny. run on a flat trail like i do a lot of running on a flat trail but to just go out into the woods i don't know i don't know if i'm brave enough yeah you got to find what works for you it's funny because two things come up for me there part of me wants to tell you you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Do what do what interests you. The other part of me says maybe there is some power in exploring things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. So I don't know the answer. Both of those are probably true. I don't like the pee pee in the woods. <laughs> now we're down to it. <laughs> That's pretty much the well. Yeah. I did go camping one time when I had I had this like boyfriend when we were fifteen or sixteen, and we went on a youth group camping trip and. I didn't pee for like 20 hours because I didn't know how to pee in the woods. And that I remember that pain that we, we pulled into like the nearest Hardee's the next morning. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Wow. I just, yeah. So it's just stupid stuff like that. So you have like some that. PTSD from, from uh, peeing in the woods. Apparently. Like that's my yeah. first instinct is when you're like, let's go to the woods. I'm like, oh, where am I going to pee? You don't want to go to the bathroom in the woods. But it's pee, like, It's surprisingly easy. I know. You just... <laughs> You just go. And you know what? They actually make things now that for women that are like funnels. Oh. So where you can you can pee like a man. So So you're pretty much saying I'm I'm running out of excuses. This is You're like running yes. That is exactly right. You're running out of excuses. That's what I do for a living. I take oh. away people's excuses with I a big like smile. I don't like you anymore, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. That's <laughs> true. No, I mean it's not true. You're right. <laughs> um okay, so if I don't it does make me uncomfortable, but what is it about trail running that you've found makes people uncomfortable? Is, is it literally being out in nature? Is it the unknown? All those things, and that's also what makes it so powerful? Yes. So okay. you just answered your own question. Okay, in great. general, in general, my experience has been that people immediately fall in love with it. It is a, you know, I don't know how much trail running you've done, but it, it can be, and obviously everybody has their own experience. But I have seen it to be true for me and many, many people I know. There is something about being out there by yourself, being in your body, probably having less gear with you, you know, just yourself in the dirt and the wind and the trees. 
that is is really connecting to both yourself and the natural world in a way that touches people pretty deeply and pretty singularly. So when people talk about trail running, particularly new trail runners, they usually get this look in their eyes like, it was amazing and I loved it and I'm not really sure how to describe that to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've, again, I've seen that happen to a bunch of people. So people usually fall in love with it almost immediately. If, which doesn't happen very often, but if I come across somebody that's uncomfortable about it, it is, yeah, because they're afraid of being in nature because of their life experience. <laughs> they're pain. Whether, whether that's peeing in the woods or getting eaten by a bear or, you know, some of us are just taught nature is a scary place. Yeah. I was not taught that. I'm very lucky. My dad took me backpacking when I was seven and it was great. And I really just found this deep love and appreciation for the natural world. So that's one of the reasons I love trail running. But if, you know, I had been taught people die in the woods Mm-hmm. Trail running would be something to overcome, obviously, the, the, the fear. So, yeah, nature is just kind of amorphously scary for people sometimes. Something is out there that is dangerous. Yeah, and uh, I think that's that may be part of it, too, because I didn't have really, like, nature-y parents. And, yeah. Yeah, we were scared of everything. <laughs> yeah. So that is real. I mean, fear yeah. is real, but that doesn't mean that you can't conquer it. I would just start slow and start in trails around the city, because another thing people are often worried about is getting lost. Yes. And that can also be a, a, a real concern. Uh, if you're in a race, they have trail markers. Sometimes the trail markers are better than others. But, the, you know, they will have trail sweepers and stuff. Usually getting lost in a race is not a big deal. Although, <laughs> I got lost in... Uh, the jungles of Nepal last year in a race. We could talk about that. That's actually oh, a great story. We well, should talk about that like in a little bit. <laughs> um, so that does happen. But to me, that's part of the adventure. Oh, my goodness. If you're out there by yourself, which I probably wouldn't start with, but if you're out there by yourself, you can do things like stop. I've actually done this before because trails look different going one direction than when they're going the other direction. So if you run out half an hour and then turn around and come back, it's going to look completely different. So I will actually stop sometimes at a, a trail decision. You know, there's three or four trails. I'll, and I'll do a full 360 and say to myself, this is what it's going to look like on the way back. Mm. You can also bring little flags with you if you're worried about it. You can make little rock formations. Uh, don't, don't worry about, you know, looking silly. There's, there's a bunch of things you can do to make sure that you don't get lost. That's good. I didn't know that you could like leave your own breadcrumbs. Yeah, totally. Huh. You can also use a GPS app. I mean, technology is incredible now. Yeah. Even for the Pacific Crest Trail, the John Muir Trail, there's, there's apps that will just tell you exactly where you are. That would make me feel better. I mean, I run on a trail in Atlanta, but it is like a five-mile trail. And at any given time, I could like take off running and find someone, you know what I mean? And so yes. I, I do enjoy being under the trees and in the gravel and, um, but I know I don't have the right shoes for, for trail running. And I think like maybe if I made the investment and the correct shoes, it might send me out packing a little more. So what kind of shoes do I need? I know I don't need running shoes. <laughs> uh, so that's a funny question that you're asking me this right now, because I'm, <laughs> I'm writing a review of a pair of Hoka trail running shoes for backpackers.com right now. I'm a contributing writer for backpackers.com and we're doing this big trail running 
shoe push right now. And we've all been talking about how hard it is to review shoes because everybody is so different. Right. So, so I will give you kind of the broad overview. Trail running shoes are worth it. If you're going to do trail running, they're different than road running shoes. They're not entirely different. I mean, if you went out trail running with road running shoes, it's not like you would die, Mm -hmm. but trail running shoes are more comfortable and more specifically designed for the trail. They have more tread so that you, you don't slip as much. They have more lugs, more, you know, built on the top so that if you bump a rock or something, it doesn't hurt your feet. Mm. They usually dry out quickly, so they're a little more porous because your feet will often get wet when you're trail running. So they're just, they're made a little bit differently and they're more comfortable for the, you know, jumping, skipping, <laughs> side, side to side movement that, uh, the frolicking in the woods movement. Yeah, no, that's what I'm scared of. You just nailed it. The jumping, the frolic. I don't want to be seen frolicking. I think that's the problem. You don't want to be seen frolicking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I think if you let yourself frolic, you will be surprised at how fun it is. I wonder. I, I have a fear. Of, I have FOF, fear of frolic. Yep. Once again, I would say if there's fear, <laughs> perhaps there's something worth exploring. okay so so we're gonna frolic in these shoes great next i would say get a pair of trail running shoes okay and just accept that you might try three or four pairs before you find one that's right and most trail runners well this is true for most as you probably know but most trail runners just kind of constantly iterate and go from shoe to shoe because it's fun that's Mm -hmm. i mean no reason other than that it's fun to get new shoes so you know i would try hokas i really like hokas Ultras are interesting because they have no drop. I mean, we could really get into the different uh, elevations, you know, different drops between the front of the shoe and the back of the shoe. Yeah. I, I don't know how familiar you are with the whole uh, barefoot running scene, but yeah. when, when Born to Run was written a few years ago, he, he talked a lot about how we're, we're made to run and we're made to be barefoot, which is probably true. If you have worked your feet up to the point where they're strong enough and flexible enough and have enough calluses on the bottom that you can be barefoot. But most of us wear shoes, so our feet aren't at that point. So I wouldn't recommend people just go start running barefoot or running in Vibram five fingers immediately unless they have really strong feet. Right. But it is great to move in that direction. So I tend to like the more minimalistic shoes, things that have little drop or no drop ultra has no drop um or those vibram five fingers have no drop that's basically just having like a a glove on your foot Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't start there i wouldn't start there yeah um so so there aren't any you know brands that are the best hokas are good solomon is good i really like new balance trail runners but you know try a couple and have fun with it but definitely invest in a pair of trail running shoes if you're going to try trail running so I'll put those on my holiday list, and then I will see about frolicking. There you go. In the woods, I would love a picture. Yeah, Maybe I even bet you would go. see. That's what's going to happen. You, <laughs> you know what? And then I'm going to post that, and you're going to get so many hits on your site. It's going to be <laughs> great for your business. That's right. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about your book, I Athlete, um, about how unleashing the inner athlete is, is a key to unlocking a lot of areas, other areas in our lives. Mm-hmm. So I had a debate one time with someone who said that when you're kind of on a health and fitness journey, that you should always start with food. 
And for me, I started with movement. I started with exercise and I started with spinning class and then it turned into triathlon. And then that kind of projected me, you know, to on this path, it put me on this path, which then kind of started to incorporate, oh, well, I'm moving. Maybe I should fuel better. Maybe I should eat better. Maybe I should take care of myself. So what are your thoughts like on someone who wants to make a life change? Do you think starting with movement is kind of the key? That's a great question. I don't think there's a right way. Mm-hmm. I, I am a big fan of kind of following what feels right to you. So it sounds like, you know, because there's enough resistance. So if you're going to start with something that you immediately have resistance to, that's going to decrease your chances of success. So what I'm hearing you say is that it felt right for you to start with movement. Well, because I had so many issues with like my body image, right? So for me, food was a, was a bad thing. And then, you know, weight, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. That's what was my whole thing. And so I think that's a really good point that you're making. Like you, if, if you do have resistance or you have issues with something you feel like you should do, then maybe that's not it. Yeah, maybe start with something else and have some success. So what happened for you was you felt stronger in your body and it gave you some confidence and energy to address the other areas. Is that accurate? Yeah. 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 So I, I like the idea of starting with movement. I actually like the idea of combining <laughs> a bunch of them. I definitely don't. When somebody comes to me and they're struggling with weight, I definitely don't hammer them with a bunch of nutritional advice. Most people know way more than they ever need to know about nutrition, and we make it, in my opinion, much harder than it needs to be. Uh, And if we just kind of take the pressure off and focus on other things and just focus on broad principles and being healthy, nutrition will usually take care of itself and weight will usually take care of itself. So I like to start with exercise, however that looks for the unique individual and mindset. I'm a big mindset person. So I would start with, you know, what we talked about last time. Yeah. Daily ritual. Make sure you're meditating. Make sure Um. you're doing your positive (laughs) self-talk and gratitude. And that lays the foundation for and creates the space and creates the bandwidth to then focus on how am I going to fit my exercise in, taking care of eating well, all of that other stuff. It, the great news and the challenging news, but the great, the great news is that it's all intertwined. So the exercise creates more energy to worry about the nutrition. The mindset creates more space and energy to worry about the, the exercise and the nutrition. And it all is this positive feedback loop that, that lifts you up. Yeah. So I know we talked in detail and, and I'll have to look up what episode you are so I can tell people. <laughs> I think I'm episode 25. I might be 25. wrong about that. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I but think that's, that sounds right. 25 is my favorite number. And I think that's off my head. <laughs> 20 something. 20 something. Um, yeah. So I'll tell you how far I've made it in the meditation um, kind of arena. Cause we, you kind of, set me straight and said I was making excuses, which I, I totally admitted I was. Um, <laughs> I haven't made it to the point where I actually get up and go into another room and find a space. So here's where I'm at. The alarm goes off now. And instead of dashing out of the bed and going, oh, God, today, you know, that's what I I realized. And, and this goes back to your mindset thing, because I became aware of my internal dialogue when the alarm went off. And I realized that 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 was causing myself enormous stress right out of the gate every morning. And I was like, oh, here are the kids, the the food, the like everything. And so now when my alarm goes off, 
I lay there for three minutes and I just breathe. Beautiful. I love it. And that's it. And then I get out of bed and like my pants are on fire, but not, not <laughs> as much. I find out that my pants are not as on fire as they normally would be. And so I feel like I'm making progress, though I don't know what my resistance is to trying to set a routine. I still don't know why I'm resisting it so much. But maybe it's just a baby step thing for me. Yeah. I love that you're doing that. So I would say pat yourself on the back for what you are doing. And remember, <laughs> there's there's no right way to meditate. Right. There's, there's your way. So you did something that seems to be working really well for you. So I don't think you need to judge yourself for not meditating better. Um, but you could take a step back and evaluate, do I want to do this more? Do I think setting a routine and doing this for 10 or 15 minutes a day mm-hmm. would add more value to my life? You know, yeah. without judgment, just logically looking at it. And if the answer is yes, maybe you try to fit that in. Yeah. But I would do that where there isn't resistance. If the morning you find a lot of resistance because you have so much to do, maybe you do that before you go to bed. There's there's a lot of power in meditating before bed or at lunch. You can meditate whenever. Something that has worked really well for me uh, because, you know, as much as I'm supposed to be the expert, I am human and struggle with things just like everybody else. So I was a couple months ago, well, actually, I know how long ago, 66 days ago or whatever. <laughs> oh, my. I was, I was struggling with getting everyday meditation and I would do it three or four days a week. And I know from not doing any meditation, from doing some meditation and from doing everyday meditation that I feel much better when I meditate every single day. It's this cascading thing. So I committed to one of my friends. I said, I'm going to meditate 100 days in a row. I'm committing now to you to do that. And just having that accountability partner clicked something in my brain. And Mm -hmm. I'm now on 66 days straight and loving it. And it's easy just because I told somebody that I respect, I'm going to do this. And obviously I used it with meditation. You can use that with anything. And it's really powerful to have an accountability partner. That's a great idea. We should do a challenge off of this podcast. Ooh, let. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I am excited about that. And we should get your listeners involved. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. But you know, I I do. I do I do see the benefit. The other I don't know when it was, it was like a week ago. Some something was going down and I could feel myself just totally panicking. I don't even remember what it was. So this must have been really effective. But I felt myself getting really amped up and freaked out and I just turned off the light and I sat. And I started and I took deep breaths until I calmed down. And then and I because at that moment I knew nothing was going to fix that situation because it was out of my control. Um, There was nothing I could do. It just was happening. And I had to try and get a hold of my emotions and and where I was in that current state. And it helped so much. So I feel like I'm I'm tiptoeing into the water, into the forest. (laughs) And you're actually – that's great. You're actually doing more than you think you are. I mean the the stopping – and when you're stressed out, taking some time to yourself and breathing is like the single best thing you can do when you're yeah. you're anxious. So even if you've stumbled your way there, you're you're doing a great job. I do everything the hard way, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly certainly if that's the story you tell yourself. <laughs> oh no! Now what? <laughs> <laughs> now what? Now what? Oh, stories we tell ourselves—that's something, isn't it? 
That is something. That is something. I okay, so let's go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I just try to laugh at that when I notice that I'm telling myself a, a story that's probably not true or whatever. I just try to have compassion in myself and smile. That's that's usually the best strategy, I think. How much do you think the stories we tell ourselves, or you know, for me, I always try and lead with a joke. You know, I try and be funny before someone can. I try and say I'm fat before someone can call me fat, kind of situation, and that's yeah. that's been my mechanism my whole life and I actually had a, a trainer that I worked with last year and um, we were working out and I said something about you know my weight or made some fat joke because he always makes me jump like I used to have to jump and I'm like do you know how hard it is for this fat girl to jump or something and he got really mad at me and he said you know if you say you're a fat girl one more time I'm gonna knock you across this room and I'm like well that, that's not good let's not talk about violence you know and then he's like why do you have to make a joke about everything you know and I was like, gosh, I, and I knew I did it, but I didn't realize the extent I do it and, and how often, <laughs> I mean, it's constant yeah. and yeah, yep. I've done it like five times already talking to you. I understand it. That's one of my defense mechanisms as well. And yeah. my dad talks a lot about this. And again, these are just, these are adapted behaviors that we, as humans, we are survival experts. So when we're little and we're surrounded in this uncomfortable, dangerous, and by this uh, uncomfortable, dangerous environment, which is true for all of us, even if it's not uncomfortable and dangerous as kids, everything is that way. We create these adaptive mechanisms to help us survive and cope and be safe. And we're really good at it. That's the way humans are designed. The problem is when you're 30 and 40 and 50, you still have these adaptive mechanisms that may not be serving you. So they are usually very good and effective at some things. And when that knob is turned up too high, they don't serve us. So we're never going to eradicate them completely. We don't want to. They often serve us really well. You're very funny. People <laughs> like you a lot because you lead with humor. When you deflect too much, then you're not connecting with people as much as you could or being as authentic as you could. But I, I wouldn't want you to uh, take away your sense of humor completely. Uh, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to either. So I think the best we can do is to recognize, oh, I have this tendency. And as much as possible, to try to recognize it in the moment and choose, do I want to make a joke right now? Or do I want to just let it sink in yeah. and, and not make a joke? Because the the impetus, the the I want to make a joke right now because whatever, because I'm uncomfortable, mm -hmm. because I know for me sometimes it's because I think I could be really funny right now and get attention or whatever it is, um, that's never going to go away. We're, we're, we're always going to have that desire to – our defense mechanism wiring is always going to be tripped. But we can start to be more mindful uh, of, of our habits and the conversation we're having with us yourself and make a choice. I really think that's what the whole ball of wax is about. This and everything else is about recognizing what you're thinking and the patterns and making a choice versus just going through life blindly. But what do I replace my joke with? That's what <laughs> I struggle because I want to say something and maybe that I don't think it's my, I used to think it was a need for attention, but I think it's a need I have this need to make people feel comfortable Yes. in a conversation. And I, a lot of people will say to me, you know, you've never met a stranger and or you've always made me feel so comfortable. And I'm like, oh, oh, good, because I, I really want to meet someone and everyone feel comfortable around me. 
That's and, interesting. Yeah. Because I, I do the exact same thing. That is one of my def- defense mechanisms as well. And I don't think it's usually about attention for me either. I think it's about comfort level. Mm-hmm. So particularly when the conversation amps up and gets really emotional uh, or if I can tell somebody's uncomfortable or there's a lot of tension, I will always want to crack a joke. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes it's not. And only you know when that line is. And I can't tell you what to do, but I know what I do is I will actually like talk to myself. I want to make a joke right now. It would be really funny, but it's not appropriate right now. Like what's (laughs) what's appropriate right now is to actually let the discomfort happen or to actually let this person feel what they're feeling because making a joke right now might minimize it or whatever. Sometimes it's not appropriate to make a joke. So usually I either choose the joke or silence. Sometimes I will just say something else. But usually that's, that's the choice for me is it's not appropriate for me to jump in right now. <laughs> it's just right. appropriate to let it be. So you're, you're choosing between total comfort and just like weird like stare tactics. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on the situation. I can tell you my parents do this leadership training it's about uh, teaching people to fire on all, all cylinders, basically, is what my dad calls it. Uh, and I was coaching. I was one of the coaches uh, two weeks ago. And, you know, the whole thing is about uncomfortable situations. We're helping people deal with the issues in their lives that hold them back. We're talking about real stuff that you don't talk about with anybody. But it's, it's in this environment where that's safe. So for three straight days... It's just uncomfortable situation after uncomfortable situation. So I had, you know, 30 times where I could ha- have that talk with myself. Like, I really want to make a joke right now. Right. That's not appropriate. I'm not going to say anything. Or I'm going to say something productive or supportive rather than trying to deflect the discomfort. Well, and I don't think I make, you know, I don't make the jokes about the situation so much as I'll deflect it. And make a joke about myself. You know what I mean? And that's when I throw in the self-deprecating humor. Yes. Right. So, yeah, that's something else is you have trouble owning the good about you, it sounds like. Yeah, Uh, for sure. And I know that. You know, I try to – the hardest thing for me is when someone's like, oh, gosh, you look great. And I'm like, thank you. Good. You know, to just say thank you. Yeah, just make yourself say thank you. I mean, I don't know if I've told you this story, but – I have, I just have this word vomit and, and I do it in all sorts of situations. When I was practicing as an attorney, I would always, before I started, we started a hearing or a case, I would say something stupid to the judge. Like it didn't matter what it was, but I had this judge in Atlanta and, um, I saw him on new year's Eve for a calendar call. And then I went back on Valentine's day for a calendar call. And so on New Year's Eve, he's like, Miss Atwood, your case. And I'm like, oh, Happy New Year's, Your Honor. And he's like, well, Happy New Year's. And then on Valentine's Day, I wished him Happy Valentine's Day. And <laughs> I was like, Happy Valentine's Day, Your Honor. And the whole courtroom like burst out laughing because it was not really the thing you say to a judge, I guess. But then his the look on his face was recognition. He's like, "Oh, I remember you from New Year." <laughs> you know. But I do that whenever I'm in a situation that's new or awkward. I like clear my throat with something. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I would say that's uh, when it's serving you. 
Again, I think it's a yeah, real skill. Yeah, that's not skill. necessarily bad. But it yeah, can be dumb, though. I think that though. could be a real skill. You just don't want to do it all the time because you have to. And yeah. now that you've identified, I tend to do that when people say nice things about me. Maybe your work can be recognizing that, catching that, and not deflecting. Just trying to take that mm-hmm. in. Somebody just said something good. How does that feel? Just try to take it right in rather than pushing it away with humor. And That's my homework for you. Uh, you always have homework. Why does <laughs> why does it why do we want to deflect it though? Is it because like why do, why can I not accept a compliment? Is because, it because I don't feel good about myself? Well, I wouldn't go that far. And I'm not a psychologist, but what I would guess Get your dad on the phone. Can yeah, I should get my dad on the phone. <laughs> what I would guess is that a part of you, not all of you, I would guess you have a very strong voice in your head. My dad would call it the critic mm-hmm. that doesn't believe that to be true. Yeah. It says, yeah, but you maybe I'm a size whatever, but I should be two sizes smaller. And I didn't do everything I could. And I didn't meditate this morning. And I had candy yesterday. Yeah. And Jane down Stop. the street is skinnier. <laughs> and all of these things. Yeah. So a, a lot of us, again, in Western society have a very strongly developed critic. We don't often have the counterpoint to that, which is the nurturer, the voice that goes, you know what? You're okay just the way you are. That's it. Yeah. Not, not you're okay. So I was realizing this talking to my dad. I have a really strong, uh, what did he call it? Benevolent critic. So I <laughs> thought I had this great nurturer. But, but my critic goes, you are okay just the way you are because you're a best-selling author. Oh. And you're a business owner. And you run the John Muir Trail and blah, blah, blah. My dad was like, no, that's not a nurturer. It's still weighing and measuring. It's just doing it nicely. Yeah. But we need, to me- we need to also recognize the voice inside of us, which is shockingly silent for a lot of people, that says, you are okay just the way you are, period. You don't need to be anything else. You don't need to do anything else. You are okay. You are loved. You are worthy. You are okay. Oh, man, I don't like that. See, and I know you like Tony Robbins because we talked about it last time. Um, but that that goes down to like his whole thing about core beliefs, that we have these yep. certain core beliefs in our lives that, you know, th- we act accordingly to these yep. core beliefs. And a lot of times we don't even know what our core beliefs are until we start peeling them away. But when you're saying I'm okay the way, exactly the way I am, I don't need to do be whatever, my internal like BS monitor is ringing. Yep, because that made you really I, uncomfortable, right? I do not believe that about myself. Like that, it is a core belief that I am not okay just the way I am. That I am okay because, just like you said, I am a list of these things. I mean, like my right. Twitter handle: wife, mom, Iron Man, tri coach, author, blogger, blah, 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 you know, obnoxious things. Like I am okay because I am a list of these things. So, do you recognize on some level, some maybe small, small piece of you? The, is there a small part of you that recognizes you really are okay without doing all of those things? Mm, I, I know that I should. Okay. I know that I should recognize that. But like if you just sent me off with a fast pack into the woods and said, go live, you'll be okay and you're okay. And peop- you know, you'll find another fast packer and you will love <laughs> and like live and be happy. I would be like, no, I don't think I am okay. And I don't, I don't know. I think so much, and especially this like goes back to my childhood. I think so much was tied to 
accomplishments and being a good girl and being all these things. And, and I owe my parents a lot of gratitude because they did put a lot of great characteristics and instill values in me that have made me who I am today. But I think I always associated that kind of behavior with, with being worthy of love and being worthy of yeah. friendship. Hey, so I, I, I get, I, I totally get this. And you know what? It would be very interesting for you to actually have my dad on a podcast because he's an expert at this stuff. There's this whole model called the pack model that breaks down the voices in our head. And you could have a whole conversation on how to draw out the other voices, the more <laughs> benevolent voices. We'll be like, um, <laughs> This is episode 19 of 45 with Josh's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, but I, you know, and I have this this big sense that I, you know, I'm not the only one that feels that way. I I don't think a lot of people feel that they're okay. No, I (laughs) agree. I think most people don't feel that they're okay. I I think that's one of the biggest issues that we face. Certainly in our society, maybe in the world, I can't speak for other societies, but we are definitely taught, we as a whole, you are only okay if you achieve, mm-hmm. if, if, if you do all these things. And on a fundamental level, that's impossible because it's never enough. It's never enough. If you get a master's degree, you should have got a PhD. Right. If, you, if you're an Ironman, you should have done an Ultraman. I mean, it, it's, it's never enough if we have that knob turned up too high. And if we're built that way, we're not going to erase that. But hopefully we can develop other voices that allow us to smile through that and go, okay, thank you, critic, for your, <laughs> your support. Because really, your critic is trying to make you safe. That's why it was developed. It doesn't do a very good job of it when you're an adult most of the time. But it, it was developed to keep you safe. So one of the basic things my dad counsels people is to just recognize that voice that's being hypercritical, smile, thank it for trying to help you, and then decide not to listen to it. And that sounds really kind of mechanical, uh, but it's, it's all part of the conversation we're having with ourselves. And you can choose what conversation you're having with yourself and what voice you want to listen to. And if there's a voice in your head that is being really critical and beating you up and decreasing your quality of life, it's up to you whether you decide to listen to that voice and buy into its story. Well, and so so many of us are just not even aware that we have these voices. Um, I One of my friends, Deb Cheslow, she's a peak performance coach. And, and one of the things that she's tells us to, you know, the starting point is just to listen to the, to the voices, listen to what's going on in your head all day. And one of the things I realized when I started listening was just how critical and how mean my internal voice was. And yep. just by hearing it, I, I was able to say, oh my gosh, that voice is totally a liar. Like what an exaggerated little wench, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. I used to walk into the gym and the, you know, the mirrors are everywhere. And I used, my inner voice, no kidding, would say, you are fat and disgusting. Wow. That was what it would say. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you have a very strong critic. Like, wow, that's really mean. You know, okay, you're a little chunky. You maybe shouldn't have ate that ice cream last night. But you're fat and <laughs> disgusting, like, as a human. Oh, man. And so yeah, I did a lot of work with that. Um, that's mean. I'm glad you're working on that. The the I mean, we could talk about this for days. But the, the quickest, simplest way to start to move in the other direction if we have these voices is to replace that with a positive affirmation that kind of counteracts that voice so 
if you recognize that voice is saying I'm fat and disgusting, have an affirmation ready. No, I'm I'm a beautiful woman that <laughs> whatever. I would never say that. Whatever. I you could just say it to yourself. So so the thing about affirmations is they're going to sound and feel ridiculous at first, but eventually they become true. You like how I just mock you? Just deflect, <laughs> deflect, deflect, deflect. I don't feel mocked. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we talked about trail running and ultra running yeah, today, Josh. Trail running at all. When do we get to talk about trans rocky? <laughs> I don't know. Let's talk about it now because I really do want to okay. talk. I have a friend, um, my good friend from my legal days. We used to share an office wall and um, she would come over and say, I think I want to do a marathon. And I was like, well, I think I want to do a triathlon. And then we like did those things. And now she runs Trans Rockies. I do Ironman. And when I saw that you did that, I was like, oh, I want to talk to Josh about it. Because I actually have like a deep, dark secret wish to maybe do some ultra running. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe like trail running, ultra running. Because you got to go to the woods for this ultra running thing I hear. That's right. Most so. of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. I so trans Rockies is this stage race, which is the first stage race I've ever done. And I completely fell in love with the format. So it's, it was six days and all stage races are different, but this one was six days. And I think it was 120 miles through the Rockies starting in Buena Vista, Colorado and finishing near Vail, Colorado. And every day is a set stage. So, you know, day one is 25 miles and day two is 15 miles and day three is 22 miles or whatever. And the camp moves every day. So all you have to do for six days is think about running and eating and everything else is taken care of by these amazing volunteers. And it's like a six day running party with some great people that become your friends. It was so much fun. And of course it was hard. It was six days like 25,000 feet of elevation gain through the Rockies. So every day was hard. But I found as somebody who trains for long distance races, it was just a short enough distance each day that it was hard but doable. And then I got to rest and eat and repair and then start the next day. So uh, I I thought it was so much fun. And they have different, not they, there, there are different companies around the world that have different stage races. You know, there's this, there's one in Australia. There's one from the Grand Canyon to the Grand Staircase. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a couple in Europe. There's one, a sister company of the the people who do Trans Rockies does this one called Trans Alpine in the Alps that touches like four countries and it's a day longer and like twice as much elevation gain, which just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but it... I think it's a great way to experience a place, to really sink your teeth into a place and say, I was here. Yeah. Uh, And it was a huge challenge, but such a great vibe and just so much fun. I'm so glad I did it. I can't wait to do more. So each day, do you have a time limit or you just have the day to do it? Uh, Each day there was a time limit, but it wasn't wasn't really an issue. They, They picked a couple people up and you don't get kicked out of the race. You just get to do the next stage the next day. So it, it's it's very family-oriented. The first few, you know, the people who won were racing, but most of the people are just completing. Uh, and it, it's just a ton of camaraderie. Really, really fun. There were some fast people there. Most people were experienced trail runners, I would say, but uh, there weren't, 
not everybody there was this amazing world-class athlete. So what was the longest run? What, what day had the most miles? How many miles? Uh, I think it was a marathon distance. Okay. There were two shorter days and four longer days. The two shorter days were like 13 or 15 miles, but they went basically straight up and straight down. <laughs> we went over Hope Pass on day two, which is part of Leadville, right. which was really fun for me. I have had, uh, if you listen to the first podcast with me, I I've, have a love-hate relationship with Leadville. I've been right. over Hope Pass a few times. So I wanted to own that day. So I beat, I almost beat one of the sponsored teams that day. I came in, I don't know, like 11th overall or something. Because um, I just powered up that mountain and then sprinted down. It was it was a really fun day. It left me pretty wasted. For <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of it too is you need to recognize I'm going to be doing this for six days so you can't just yeah. blow it up day one you have to kind of pace yourself which is a challenge I mean there's a bunch of challenges which is one of the things that I loved about it I sort of feel like the mountains are calling me in a way not the trails but the mountains so figure that one out yeah. Um, but yeah I, I really am leaning toward and I think a lot of the the allure for me is you do have to move forward and you you know going faster is always a goal, but I really like, I enjoy Ironman because it's slower. You know, I enjoy going further and going slower, I think, because I'm just not a, a super fast athlete. And so to me, ultra running appeals to me because I can, yeah. I can go for a really long time. I just may not get there as quick as <laughs> everyone else. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's it's definitely not fast. I like trail running much more than road running, but it is not faster. It's, it's, both harder and more fun, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it totally you know, because does. you're going up and you're going down. So the up makes it much slower. You know, if I can run a marathon in three hours, I, I run a 50K in like six hours. But I have more fun and my body feels better doing it. And ev ev pretty much everybody shares those sentiments. So yeah. it, it's a different sport. That's part of what my book about trail running is about is – if you are a road runner, don't start trail running and expect it to be the same thing. It's entirely different. The only thing that's the same is the motion. Mm -hmm. Well, even that changes because, I mean, running, I still don't really know how to run up hills super efficiently, but I was doing a triathlon and one of the local pros, she was done and she came up and started chatting with me and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she said, we're running uphill. You need to prance, 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 prance. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And she she said, short steps, prancing. She said, you can yeah. wave your arms if you want to. And so now every time I go uphill, I prance. And you prance. apparently that was the way to do it. I but thought you had a strictly no prance policy. No, I that's guess. frolicking. Oh, yeah, frolicking. Got it. Okay. Totally different. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There, There is a lot to learn about trail running. Uh, which, again, like triathlon, I think that's one of the fun things about it is is there's a bunch to master. You can either take that as, a, oh, my gosh, there's so much to learn, or as an opportunity to, I can really learn this thing and get better at it. And I sort of feel like, you know how it is when, you, when you've been doing something for a while. I mean, I've been doing triathlon for seven years, and I feel sort of tapped out in it. And it's not that I'm not going to get better or I can't get faster, but I know what it, I know what it takes to get better and faster and know the time commitment. And I, I, I'm not willing to dedicate that much in my life right now to that one goal yep. um, to get faster. I'm not, I'm just not, there's too much other stuff going on. And so for me, it almost feels like, okay, well maybe I'll go try something new because then I'll just have the beginner's mindset and I can just 
get by. <laughs> I don't mean get by, but you know, just to do something that I don't feel guilty about. You would let yourself be okay. Yeah. Just just doing it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And trail running is a perfect sport for that because in general, trail runners and the trail running community tends to be very low key. You know, nobody cares about how good you're doing. It's very there's a lot of camaraderie. Uh, you're out in the woods, so you're not seeing each other as much and being, I don't know. I find I don't compare myself to people as much. It's more about me and myself and me being in the mountains rather than where the finish line is. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because you're not going as fast. You know, when the finish line's six hours away, you just don't think about it as much. So I, I think you would actually really enjoy it. I look forward to talking to you again after you've done more of it and you tell me, you were right. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> you live for being right. But you used to be a super competitive triathlete, right? I mean, so you've been on both sides. Well, yes, I was you? super Didn't competitive. You for no, nat- it wasn't very worlds good. Or some- wait, wait, so wait. wait. I, so I have qualified for nationals, but I guess it's all relative. Uh, there's plenty of p- triathletes much faster than me. But wait I a minute. This did is your critic. Seriously. Yes, this, this is my critic, right? This is your critic. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was a pretty good triathlete. Okay, thank I, you. I definitely trained a lot, a lot. It was a big part of my life. That was my sport. And then I decided that I wanted to... Uh, so how did it happen? Oh, I read Born to Run and thought maybe I could actually like running because I've never liked running. I was a baseball player and even as a triathlete, I didn't like running. So that lit something in me that I thought, I wonder if I could actually like running. And I started trail running and I fell in love with it. And then I got a little bit lighter and started to run faster. And going back to our previous conversations, I started to believe that I could be faster. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, that belief made me faster. And then I won a couple races and it was, it was, it just, it was kind of this building volcano of, wow, I really enjoy this and I'm actually pretty good at it. And that connected to my love for nature. And I've just been mostly trail running and ultra running ever since. I do plan to go back to triathlon at some point, but I really love trail running and I've, I've really grown to love the long stuff because I've found pushing the boundaries of what I believe myself to be capable of is really where the sticky stuff of life happens. You know, I'm not worried about being able to finish a 5k or a 10k, but a hundred miler, (laughs) that is something that I could fail at. And that scares me. And again, I find value in exploring things that scare me. So I probably won't be doing these super long races forever, but I don't feel like my journey there is complete. And I'm, I've just been having a blast. A, uh, a friend and I are doing, I might have said this last time, but I don't remember. We are doing an ultra run on every continent, one a year. And we, I think we're four in. Our next one is in. Uh, so we just did a, a 50K in Patagonia a few months ago, which was amazingly epic. And we're doing a 50K in, in England in April. So Where that, is Patagonia? Why don't I know that? I know it's so on a backpack. Patagonia. Yeah, Patagonia is a company. And it, and it is a, a an area that is shared by Chile and Argentina. So we were in Chile and oh, Patagonia. Okay. And actually, we flew to basically as far south as you can fly without going to Antarctica and then rented a car and drove up to this spectacular hotel in the middle of nowhere uh, with just, you know, green valleys and epic peaks and glaciers it was 
some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen. Maybe the most beautiful country I've ever seen. And and I'm coming from California, so that's it. It yeah. was right up with with Yosemite. Just great people, good food. The race went through these you know tarns that were ice blue with glaciers and just windy, and it was so so cool. I, I really felt like I was just in another world. It was it was great. So you've done four continents. What remains? I assume Antarctica remains. Antarctica is going to be our last one because I'm going to have to like sell my house to get there. It's so <laughs> expensive to get to Antarctica. So Antarctica will be our last one. We've done Nepal. We, so that's Asia. We've done uh, North America, obviously. We did one in California. and Oh, we're going to have three because our, our fourth was a marathon in Greece. He, that was his first race, was the original marathon in Greece, which is pretty cool. So that is not an ultra run. So that will be the prologue to the book I'm writing about it, but that will not count. So we're getting Europe in April, and then we will have Australia, Antarctica, and what am I missing? I don't know. I was very bad at geography. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. There's that's a America. there's a huge map right behind me. That's funny. Africa, Africa. Oh yeah. Jeez. Literally, there's a map three feet away from me. Yeah. So Africa, Australia, and Antarctica is what we will still have after April. Very cool. And that's that's amazing. It's just a great way to see the world. Yeah. Hmm. Antarctica. What what does one wear in Antarctica when <laughs> one runs an ultra race? So it depends. There are some. Well, there aren't a lot of races in Antarctica. I would we imagine might, not. Might have to get creative. <laughs> um, luckily, I'm kind of friendly with Dean Carnassus, and he's done a lot of stuff down there. So I'm maybe I can maybe I can lean on him to help me. Um, yeah, I, but, I think I would ask Dean. <laughs> there's one on kind of like an island of Antarctica. That basically they, they boat you there and you complete it and then they boat you back. And you can say you were in Antarctica, but it's not really like the mainland Antarctica. And I get the sense that that is not super cold. But if you're like running to the South Pole like Dean did, you have to bundle up. And I'm not sure how much running there is, depending on what the snow is like. So clearly, I have more research that I need to do here. Well, will, <laughs> just, you be, will you be frowned upon if you do the Antarctica Island? You know, will you like not be a real South nah, Pole runner? <laughs> I don't. I'm not doing this for anybody other than me. You know, so I don't. I don't care what people think. I know, but I, I do want to do it. I do want to see as much of Antarctica as I can, for sure. Um, but I, I know people who have done other things in Antarctica, and yeah, it's it's going to be cold. Definitely have to bundle up but both he and i do really well in the cold it's mm -hmm. when it gets really hot and humid that it gets challenging that was that was the hard part of nepal it was not only in the lowlands of the himalayas so it was really high um the highlands lowlands of the himalayas uh -huh. uh, it was also hot and humid with tons of hills and it was his first 50k so he's like are you crazy i was like yeah maybe this wasn't the best first <laughs> we should have done the 50K. south pole first a, it was a great experience, though. Really good story. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring a treadmill to the South Pole. Would that count? Oh, that is an interesting idea. I think technically that would count. <laughs> I'm going to try to actually do it for real, but that might be a good backup plan. Yeah. I like your the box thinking. Right. That's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> 
Well, Josh, I, we've talked an hour about none of the things we plan to, but I always That's enjoy chatting with you. Yes, I really enjoy <laughs> chatting with you too. And so maybe we'll talk more about actual, more and more about trail running on the next time we visit. Sounds good. I'd love to chat with you anytime you want to call me. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. It was fun. You too. Have fun trail running. Oh, that, oh okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>